been listening to amazing music here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Coming up next, JM Sunday with Matis Weingast here at NahumSiegel.com.
Good morning, everyone. Welcome to JM Sunday right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Matas Weingast. And today is the 26th day in the month of July, 5th day in the month of Av. We are in our nine days format as we head towards Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av, this coming Wednesday night into Thursday. And coming up in just a minute or two, uh, there will, we'll present Rabbi Beryl Wine with a discussion on the, uh, I believe the first one is the Haftorah of Tisha B'Av. If you're studying Dafyomi, it's Shabbos Kovlamet Hay, 135, getting closer and closer to the end of Sech uh, Shabbos. You can jump on board now and uh, start or continue. Temperature outside in our area is 77 degrees, going up to a high of 93, then going down to 76, bright and sunny all day long. In Jerusalem, it's 94 degrees, going down to 71 Rabbi Goldwasser coming up at around 7.30. Uh, we will not have the news from Israel. Uh, Hannah Julian is taking the day off today. And uh, we'll be here until 9 o'clock. A great program. and continues all day long here on the network. So uh, thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed Shabbos and uh, had a great week. And uh, again, thank you for joining us. Here's Rabbi Beryl Wine. The Haftorah that uh, I'm going to deal with is the Haftorah for Tisha B'Av, for the ninth day of Av, the saddest day of the Jewish calendar. And the Haftorah is uh, from the prophet Yirmiyahu. You know that there's a word in English that's called a uh, Jeremiah. A Jeremiah is an elegy, a uh, sad, uh, doleful uh type of prophecy. Well, uh, this is the chapter that I got the word from. This Haftorah is not only uh, sad, but the Navi uh, recites it in almost a ferocious tone. And that's why it's according to the custom of the Ashkenazim, it is the Haftorah for the morning of Tishabov. The uh, Svardim have a different Haftorah, uh, which is... Uh, in its way uh, more, uh, I don't know when to say cheerful, but it's less ferocious than this one. Asof asifem neum Hashem. Asof asifem, I will utterly destroy them. That's the uh, usual uh, translation of the word asof asifem. I shall utterly destroy them. To gather them, meaning like to gather them off the face of the earth. Uh, it can also mean that I will gather all of the fruit and all of the food and all of the defenses possible against the enemy, and the Jewish people will be left exposed and bare. We will see that uh, this Haftorah fits in very well in the description of all the times of terrible trouble of the Jewish people, and that the Novi may have had our, uh, our generation, the previous generation in mind. There are no grapes on the vine. And there are no figs in the, on the fig tree. And the leaves have withered. 
and whatever I gave them as a gift, Yavrum has since passed away from them. There is nothing left for them. And the Forshim here say as follows. Grapes are the uh, most uh, important of all of the fruits in the world because from grapes you can make something. Not only the grapes, you make wine, which is the has always been, at least in Jewish life, the most important of liquids. So grapes are representative. Sometimes you have people who are creative. It's not just the person himself. It's that this person can influence so many others. This person can benefit so many others. So they have been taken away. There are no more grapes on the vine. But at least you have people left, people in their own right, even if they're not necessarily effective with others, but they as a, as a person exist. That's Te'enim Ba'te'ino, the figs and the fig tree. You can't do much with figs except eat them. But the fig itself is a nourishing, sustaining food. There are no figs in the fig tree either. There are no people left. And not only that, there are people who themselves are shallow, who themselves are of little social value who don't contribute that much to society. Uh, they're there for window dressing. They're there for show. They also are not here. The novel, their representative of the leaf on the tree, which is there for protection and for show. It cannot be eaten, but it's part of the tree also. And the leaves have also withered. Every gift that I gave them, God says, Yavrum has been taken from them by the enemy. We have this concept many times in Tanakh, and the irony of life is that a person never knows who one really toils for. I, we don't know for whom the bell tolls. You really don't know whom you're saving your money for either. Because many times... Uh, it ends up in the hands of the government or the lawyers or all sorts of things that one never imagined. And it's taken. The Avrum, it's taken away. All the gifts that one had that could have been used for a positive and strong uh, action, all of that has been taken away. Almo anachnu yoshvim. So the people who live in the scattered cities in the defenseless towns, so they say, well, what are we doing here? What are we staying here exposed? They're convinced that if they go to the main cities where the defensive walls have been constructed, that they will be saved. Let us come and gather and go to the fortified cities, to the cities that are well protected. So here again is the, not only the imagery of refugees on the run, uh, but the, the nature of people is to try and find some sort of refuge and improvement in their situation. 
So the people don't realize that it's a general calamity. They feel that they'll be safe somewhere else, which is what happened in the uh, Second World War in Eastern Europe, that no one imagined the general calamity. And they thought that if they went to Vilna, they'll be safe, or to Warsaw, they'll be safe, without realizing that there was no longer any safe haven. Benidin Mosham. Benidin Mosham, we will be silent there. So silence here is uh, uh, an ironic word. They say we'll be silent, we won't be noticed. We'll be able to blend into the society and we'll be able to escape and be part of it. And the Lord says, Venid Mashom, there they will be struck dumb. They will be made silent. They'll be cut off. And the Novi continues, how futile that is. Ki Hashem Elokeinu Hadimonu. The Lord our God has silenced us. So the silence is that we cannot even pray to him. The doors are closed. The gates of prayer are closed. Nothing could move him anymore. So there is a stage in human existence that is beyond our understanding where the gates of prayer are closed. We find that uh, in the personal life of Moshe, our teacher, God told him it's in the parsha of Eschanon. So Moshe prayed unto God. He broke down the gates of prayer, and God told him, "That's it. Forget it. Stop it." And their bone shalom said, "Rav It's enough. I'll tosiv daber I don't want to hear anything more. So there is a. Uh, the gap between our understanding of the world and our understanding, so to speak, of the nature of the Creator and the reality of it. So the Lord has silenced us because even our traditional weapons of prayer do us no good anymore. He has given us to drink the waters, the poisonous waters. Rosh is a poison. Polluted waters. Because our sins have overwhelmed us. We have sinned to God, and therefore this tragedy has occurred to us. Meirosh is a, an interesting uh, phenomenon because when the person, according to the Mephorshim, when the person begins to drink the water, he doesn't realize that there's anything wrong with the water. It's not till the aftertaste sets in. It's a little like uh, ShopRite Cola. That the, it's only after the aftertaste sets in do you realize that it isn't so good. And then it's too late, right? And here it's poisonous, in fact. It's corrupted. It's, uh, it cannot be, uh, cannot be consumed. So this also is an imagery of how the Jewish people were. They drank strange waters. They served strange gods. So while they were drinking it, they thought everything was fine. Now the aftertaste has caught up to them. Now they realize that they have poisoned their system and that God will not overlook it. We hoped for peace. They ain't told, but there's nothing good that happened. 
no good came upon us. We hoped for a time of healing. Marpe is like with an olive. This is spelled with a hay, but it's the same word. Marpe, we hoped for a time of refua, time of healing, vihine vasa, and instead of that, there's terror. Vasa is terror. The terror, the panic. That is, that, that is the, uh, the psychological fright that we know is many times as bad, if not as worse, than the actual physical danger. And so in Israel, never the people died of a heart attack. One of my uh, Talmudim, five of my Talmudim were in Eretz Yisrael for, for these two weeks, and they came back. And one of them told me that, uh, that uh, Friday there was a uh, thunderstorm in Tel Aviv. And the peal of the thunder, people ran into the shelter because of the fact that they thought the Patriot missiles were going. That's the terror. That's the fright. He said other Jews stood on the street and recited the bracha out loud. There's a bracha that you make on thunder. Which is, again, the same, the reaction to it. I have, uh, you know, Saddam Hussein deserves some credit. I have, I have uh, someone in Israel that I... Uh, I've dealt with for many, many years regarding uh, certain uh, foundations that uh, the yeshiva has been able to uh, to get some money from, and we've been able to place people. And, uh, interesting. So the person is a, an agnostic, if not an atheist. It comes when they come to the yeshiva to visit the yeshiva, they like they don't know how to put on a yarmulke. It's uh, it's against their conscience, their inner conscience. But, uh, you know, Rabbi Wine's a nice guy. I always treat him nicely. And I write to him. So I wrote to him uh, two days ago. I faxed him something. And then the fact that I hope Emir Tzashem to be in Israel in the next uh, few days, relatively speaking, and that I have to meet with him, and I want to know if the meeting is on, etc. And if you could... Uh... So I got the fax back this morning. And he writes in the fax. He wrote it out with his own hand, not with a typewriter. He wrote it out with his own hand. And he says, When you come, God willing, to Jerusalem, you know, we'll talk about these and these matters. Right? The guy writes, Yeah, so you cannot say that he doesn't have some effect, our friend Saddam. But it's a frightening thing. That's the terror. Behold, we thought that there would be a time of healing, and instead it's a time of terror. Midon Nishma Nacharasusov. This is the description of the enemy. From dawn in the north, we hear the neighing of his horses. We hear the noise of his horses, of the uh, of the uh, cavalry charging. So when the horse charges, he breathes heavily through his nostrils. So you hear that sound. So to us, uh, where we're no longer in in horse and uh, cavalry warfare. So we would say, you hear the sonic boom of the jets, you hear the explosions, you hear the sounds of war. They say that one of the uh, most frightening things in the modern battlefield is simply the noise. The noise is of a nature that paralyzes people. 
So that's, we hear it coming from the north, Midon. We hear the voices, the shouts of their heroes, of their strong men. In the ancient world, even as late as the American Civil War, the rebel yell. In the south, uh, when the soldiers charged, so they had a special yell. And in all of the uh, records of the Civil War, anyone who heard the rebel yell remembered it for the rest of their lives both friend and foe. So that's the Mitzhalo Sabiro, the shouts of its heroes, the yell. All the earth trembles. It trembles because of the great mass of humanity that is moving. And they have come to consume the entire country, the land and everything that is in it. The city and all those who dwell within it. So the city refers to all the cities of Israel, but it refers always most specifically to the city of Yerushalayim, which is the city in the world. Now, because God says, I am sending amongst you Snakes that are vipers. That's the description of the enemy. Tsiphoni is a viper. That's the most poisonous of snakes. It's a snake that even if, that if it touches you, it destroys you. There are snakes that uh, nobody likes snakes particularly. But there are snakes uh, like the garden snake or the garter snake that uh, is not necessarily dangerous at all. It may even be beneficial. Keeps uh, keeps other uh, rodents and insects out of your tomato patch. But then there are poisonous snakes. But there are poisonous snakes that a person can recover from the bite. They are not very poisonous. It's not fun, but there are poisonous. And then there are snakes that are like vipers, where the bite is lethal where the venom is such that it paralyzes the human nervous system in an instant. And the person can't breathe, he cannot come to himself. So that's, God says, on the snakes, the enemies that I am sending you, not nice enemies. You know, America in the middle of bombing Iraq, he says today, you know, that we're going to need $20 billion to rebuild it. Right? So, you know, that's America. Now, therefore, they already got in the budget, they're going to rebuild it. But uh, most of uh, our enemies are Nechoshim Tsiphonim, they are vipers. Asher Ein Lohem Lochash. So Ein Lohem Lochash has a double meaning. One meaning is that they have no venom. They have no venom, meaning uh, that they're so poisonous that you don't need any venom, right? They're just the teeth, the fangs alone kill. They don't have to inject you with a tremendous amount of venom. They are so lethal. Others learn, they make no noise. They are so stealthily careful to surprise you that they make no noise. You don't even realize that the snake is upon you. Others say, there is no antidote to their bite. 
because uh, many snake bites have an antidote. And if a person injects himself with the antidote, so he's able to survive. This is one that has no antidote. It has, there's no way to get rid of this bite. So all three pshotim mean the same, that you're talking here about a snake for which there is no defense. And they shall certainly bite you. Don't think that you will escape. So we have here, uh, as I mentioned, you know, a ferocity of vision. And you'll see that the Novi doesn't even ask the Jewish people to do tshuva. He doesn't say pray to God because he says it's useless. You know, you just, you got to take it. There's nothing there. It's irreversible. It's of no use. Mavligisi ale yogon. I strengthen myself. Mavligisi means I strengthen myself in my grief, in my sorrow, the Novi says. Olai libi davoi. Inside me, my heart is sad and broken. Why? Because the Novi's been saying this for 30 years. He said, this is what's going to happen. Now he sees that everything he said comes true. So there are people in the world, Nevach, that like to say, I told you so, who have a perverse pleasure over the fact that they are right. I see they always write for the Wall Street Journal. I, I told you so. Nobody likes to hear, I told you so. Not in a family, not in a school, not in the community, not in the world. It doesn't accomplish anything. But here the Novi is genuinely heartbroken that his words have come true. Don't forget the Novi was put in jail for saying these things. He was in the dungeon. He was arrested a number of times. He was held up to ridicule. The kings of Judah said that he's a troublemaker. He's not telling the truth. The truth is that nothing's going to happen. And now he is vindicated beyond any imagination. So the Novi uh, humanly uh, would be allowed a moment, a glimpse of uh, self-satisfaction. I told you so. You didn't listen to me? Look what happened. But that's not the Novi Yermio. The Novi is heartbroken. Hine kol shavas basami. I hear the voice, the shouts of the daughter of my people, meaning of my people, my daughter. Me'eretz marchakim. She shouts from a far land. He sees them in the exile already. Jews scattered all over the world, far from their homes. Hashem ein b'tzion. Is God no longer in Zion? There are no Jews there. The temple is destroyed. There's no Jewish settlement. We, uh, who in our time uh, have never had to imagine, I always feel that when I speak in the yeshiva to the boys, so in the yeshiva there is nobody there almost that, uh, uh, that remembers any time when the Jewish people didn't own Jerusalem and didn't have the Western Wall. And, uh, you know, to them, it's, uh, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be. And there's none amongst us. There was always, the, in our lifetime, a great Jewish settlement in the land of Israel. But it was not always like that. We'll take a uh, 
brief break from Rabbi Wine's uh, discussion of the Haftorah of Tishabov and uh, just say good morning to everybody again. It's the 26th of the July, 5th of Av. I'm Matis Weingast, and I'm here on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. 77 degrees outside, going up to a high of 93. Uh, we, are in our, we are in our nine days format on the network, and Tishabov is this coming Wednesday night. At this time, each and every Sunday through Thursday, we present to you Rabbi David Goldwasser, Rabbi Goldwasser's words, Lezecha Nishmas, Zeb, Rabbi Yosef Alevi, and Lezecha Nishmas, Esther, Bas Rabbi Yosef Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. The great Rosh Hashiva of Simcha Wasserman asks, Why do we say, Bonei Yerushalayim? It's in the present tense. It should be, Yibonei Yerushalayim. In the future tense, that Yerushalayim will be built. We also read in the Tefillah, that Hashem returns the Divine Presence to Tzion. It should be in the Lashon Asid, in the future tense, not in the present tense. We should know that all of the long, difficult road of the Golos, the exile, is the beginning of Binyan Yerushalayim, the building of Yerushalayim. The Dasikanim explains, Baruch Basode, blessed are you in the field. This is Tzion, like it says, Tzion Soda Techaresh. Tzion is a field and it will be plowed. It doesn't say Techarev, it'll be destroyed, but rather it'll be plowed. The reason is, is because when a plow hits the land, it's one of the steps of Zria, of the future seeding and growth of the land. In the very last speech that Rebbe Chonon Wasserman gave in the ghetto, he said that somebody who doesn't understand farming once went to learn vocation. He went to a farmer to teach him the malacha. First he sees the farmer begin to plow up the field. The student asks, why are you destroying such a nice field? The farmer says, patience, and you'll understand everything. The next day, the farmer takes out a sack full of corn, and he starts throwing it all over. The Talmud says, why are you throwing this stuff out? You could use it. The farmer tells him, have patience, wait and see. After a while, beautiful crops grow. The farmer takes his tools and begins to cut down all the stalks. The student asks, why are you destroying your work? The farmer beats the stalks, separates the chaff from the wheat. The Talmud, the student, is completely baffled. When he separates it, the student still doesn't understand it. But when the farmer begins to grind up the grain, the student cries out, you'll turn all your grain into dust. Finally, when he puts in the water, the student cries out, you're going to drown it all out and flood it. Then he goes to bake it, and the student says, you're going to burn your work up. But when the farmer takes out the beautiful challahs, the student sees it and smells the aroma. Then the student begins to understand all the actions of the farmer. And so too, the great Rebbe Hanan Wasserman says, the farmer is a mushal to Hashem. Sometimes it appears that B'nai Israel is beaten. Sometimes we're scattered. Sometimes we're separated. 
Sometimes they try to ground us up. However, in the Akrisayomim, in the end of days, we will all realize that all of these actions caused our nation to become great. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you Morning Chizik. Have a nice day. Thank you very much, Rabbi Goldwasser, for Morning Chizik here on JM Sunday, exclusively on the uh, Nachum Siegel Network. I'm much appreciated. We're going to go back to uh, Rabbi Beryl Wine and um, his uh, discussion of the... Um, of the Haftorah of uh, Tishabov, uh, and uh, we will continue with that uh, just now, just about where he was uh, before. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We're here till 9 o'clock on the Nachum Siegel Network. They anger me for so many centuries with their idols, the Nechor with the vanities of the strangers. How did, why did they do that, right? Now they ask, what happened to God? God asks, what happened to you? Now this is the ongoing conversation, which is the story of the exile of the Jewish people. We and God never seem to get the story straight. How did it happen? Ovar Kotzir Kolokoyitz, the harvest season has passed. Kayitz, the summer is gone. People thought that somehow we would be saved. In the passage of time, some miracle would come and stop the Babylonian army. A miracle would occur. It's interesting how all the contests remain the contests of the Bible, right? Babylonia, right? So we think Babylonia, Babylonia. Here it is, Babylonia. The old contests are all here. You know, Saddam Hussein... Uh, uh, named his nuclear reactor Tammuz 17 after the 17th day of Tammuz when the Babylonians cracked the walls of Jerusalem. He knows what he wants to do. He's not without... Uh, the only thing is he doesn't know that the Babylonians were on the 10th day of Tammuz and the 17th day of Tammuz were the Romans. <laughs> he doesn't know the Rashi, right? That he didn't figure out, but... But his message is clear, right? So the Babylonians are back. We thought we would be saved. We have not been saved. We have not been saved. This is a reference, a veiled reference to the fact that the Jews counted on the Egyptians to come to their aid. The Jews had an alliance with Egypt, and that was what they relied upon. The Novi said, rely upon God, and they relied upon the Egyptians, and the Egyptians never came. Al-Shever Basami Hoshborti. Hoshborti means I am broken over the fact that my people have been broken. The disaster of my people is my disaster. Tanovi takes it personally. Again, that's uh, a trait of identity with the Jewish people to be able to identify with the Jewish people. I always remember that as a little boy, my Zayda never allowed the house to be painted. My, my, my aunt had arranged that the house should be painted for Pesach. It was 1943. 
and the Jew came to paint the house for Pesach, a paint now, and she evidently had done it without my grandfather's permission. And when in the, she, uh, my grandfather lived with them after my grandmother died, she lived with my aunt and uncle. So when he came home uh, from shul, I happened to be there with my mother. So the painter came in and started setting everything up. And he looked around and he sees the painter is there. So he asked him, what's he doing there? So he said, my aunt, uh, you know, my aunt had ordered it. So he said, well, there must be a mistake. And he went in the kitchen. He told my aunt, he said, Jews are burning in the ovens. We're not going to paint the house for Pesach. Then he went and he paid the painter the whole amount of money because he knew the Jew needed the money for Pesach. So he took care of both things. I remember that like today. He gave him the money, and they didn't paint the house. He's not going to paint the house. Jewish people are in trouble. He's not going to paint the house. Well, that's an, you know, a, a feeling of identity. I don't, you know, you can't criticize Jews, but it's, you know, sometimes things are hard to look at. Hard to see, you know, how people don't feel. People don't, they are not sensitive to what's happening. They're only worried about uh, their petty things. The Novi says, I am broken by the disaster of my people. Kodarti, I have become blackened. My face is black. Desolation holds me in its grasp. I am desolate. I have nowhere to go in the world. Famous Pesach here, Chav Beis. Hatzeri ein begilad. Is there no balm in Gilad? Is there no medicine to be found? Imrofe ein shom. Is there no doctor for us? Is there no healer that can help us? Why do my people find no solace? Why do they have no healing? Why is my blow such a blow that it cannot be healed? Now this is the in the King James Version and the translation of the Bible. Now this is the famous uh, phrase, uh, Baum in Gilead. There are no Baum in Gilead. which in the modern English they already translate, you know, there are no Tylenol in the medicine chest. And the modern one is on Tam, right? It's mamish without any sense. The, the King James Version is majesty. But, uh, you know, nobody likes 16th century English today. The, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? So the new one says, the Lord... Tends my sheep, I lack nothing. But the only thing you lack is sensitivity. So this is the famous phrase, Baum from Gilead. Would that my head would be a source of water that I could always weep. There are so many tears to be shed and I don't have any more tears than Ovi says. I'm exhausted of tears. My eye to be the source of tears. If that would be, I would weep day and night. I would weep without interruption as over the corpses of my people. 
over the death that has overcome my people. But the Navi says, I have no more tears. I'm all cried out. I've wept so much that there's nothing left. So I have nothing more to say. Alavai said, I could be like in the desert, the inn that's in the middle of the desert. In the desert, uh, there were inns that were located at oases in the desert. So even though everything around is pure desolation, everything around is uh, parched land and drought and thirst, but at the inn, there is some solace. At the inn, there is comfort. So the Novi says, Alavai, that I would be like that, right? In the midst of this desert of trouble, if I could find a place where I could find some comfort. If I found them, I would forsake my people. What do I need the trouble? But he says, there's such a strong idea that there's no place in the world for a Jew to escape. Even if he wants to escape. Even if he feels justified in escaping, that God won't let him escape. I have nowhere to run. I'll go away from them because they're the ones that did it. They are all adulterers, meaning they're all unfaithful. So the idea of adultery here is not only the fact that they were sexually immoral and that that was the tenor of the society as it unfortunately was, but the forsaking of God and of the Jewish religion is seen as being adultery because the relationship between God and Israel is the relationship of marriage. It is not to be seen as uh, it is described in Shirashirim in that fashion that God, so to speak, is the, the man and the Jewish people are the women in the matter. And that it's a story of love. It's a story of a relationship. It's a story of loyalty one to another. So if a person is disloyal, so you unfaithful, it's not victimless crime, which is a great phrase invented in Western society. Victimless crime, right? It's not a crime. And it is a crime because it's not just what the person does, it's what that act does to the other person. The destruction that is caused to the other person by the infidelity. So the, the Novi says, the relationship to God is like that. They're unfaithful to the Rabboni Shalom. They're a convention of traitors. A convocation of traitors. Because, again, the word here that's used is treachery. They're disloyal. They're guilty of treason. The, the imagery here is that a person's tongue is like a, bow and it is like a bow. And the words that emanate from that tongue, that's the arrow. So, Vayadrechu... As Lashonam Kashtam Sheker means they have stepped on the bow. If you want to shoot a long way, so in the ancient world, the great archers would lie on their back 
and they would push the bow taut with their feet because that was they were able to get a much greater tension than they were with their arms alone. And that was like the long-distance artillery. So that's Vayadrachu, from the word Dorach, to step. They stepped on their bows, but their arrow was lies. Their arrow was falsehoods, Sheker. That became the way of life. The way of life became one of lies. To lie to each other, to lie to oneself. That's what Chazal say, that the worst of all punishments of a liar is that eventually he only lies to himself. He himself believes the lies. The And they attempted to become giborim, heroes, strong men, powerful, but without faith. person without faith cannot be strong, or rather the strength cannot be productive. Nothing good will come of it. This is the idea of Avera Goreres Avera. One sin drags you down to another one. Just as Mitzvah Goreres Mitzvah. If you do good things, so you end up doing a lot of good things. You do bad things, so then you end up with a whole peckle of Averis, right? I always say that you come to shul in the morning, right? So you daven betzibur, you put money in the tzedakah box, you hear a word of Torah, you say tilim, you go, before you know you got a package, right? You got something out of it. You go other places, so, you know, it's not just the one Avera, right? There's 15 Averas that come from it. Eat popcorn without a yarmulke. A lot of things happen before you know it. That's miro'o el ro'o yotso. They went from one evil to another evil. They didn't even realize what happened to them. The osi lo yodo nu mashem. Now this is a phrase that we'll see at the end of the Haftorah. They didn't know me. What does it mean, they didn't know me? They haven't got a clue what I want from them. That's the tragedy. You don't know what he wants. You don't understand what God wants from you. And that's not as easy as people think. People think, you know, if, if they're observant, if they're this, they're that, so then, you know, they're doing it. The Ramban says his famous statement, novel Torah. There's a, a person who is a novel who is obnoxious, and he does everything that's written in the Torah. He doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't understand what God wants. He misses it. Misses the whole point. And that's a, uh, and the Novi especially here concentrates on human relationships one with another. On the Bein Odom Lachavero part of the Torah. Because the Bein Odom Lachavero part of the Torah is what has done us in over all the centuries. Somehow with God we can settle. Right? Yom Kippur, you can straighten a lot of things out with the Rebbeinu Shalev. But a society of cruelty, a society of evil, a society of lies and infidelity can't straighten that out. They didn't know me. They don't know what I want. They don't understand. Because we'll see at the end of the Haftorah 
then all he says that the tremendous person is Haskell the Adorosi, the one that knows me, the one that, that intuitively knows what's supposed to happen correctly. I always tell over the story from the Chofetz Chaim that I heard here from, there was a, in our community, there was a, a man that was a nephew to the Chofetz Chaim who lived a very long life. He died, he was in his 90s. And he came one evening, he, went, he was not a religious Jew. And he came one evening to speak to us. We had a social evening, I don't know if you remember, by, uh, by Stern, I think. And uh, he was telling stories. So he was, uh, he was raised uh, in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg, in Russia. This is the Chofetz Chaim's family. He was raised in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg, and he uh, received a, uh, a, a private education of the time. He was taking French lessons and music lessons, and, you know, he didn't know anything about being a Jew, practically. And then a terrible tragedy happened. There was a cholera epidemic, and both of his parents died. And he was left alone. And there was no relatives. So somebody in St. Petersburg knew that the Chofetz Chaim was a relative. So they took this kid from St. Petersburg and they brought him to Rodden, which is like itself a culture shock. And they brought him from this home, from this assimilated salon home in St. Petersburg, to the Chofetz Chaim's uh, wooden uh, little hovel in Rodden. So he said, so the Chofetz Chaim took care of him. Chofetz Chaim himself took care of him. So the Chofetz Chaim went and hired a French teacher to teach, to continue the kid with French lessons. And he got a hold of a music teacher to continue the kid with music lessons. So, listen to the story. So the people in Raden were up in arms. The Chofetz Chaim is not from. They're teaching French in the Chofetz Chaim's house. It's not from. So they came to the Chofetz Chaim to tell him that. I want you to understand, you know, the world never changes. The characters change, but the world doesn't change. So they came to him, they told him, Rebbe, it's postinate. It's not nice in the house of the Chofetz Chaim and Raden, you know, that a boy should come in and teach French to a Jewish boy, French language. So the Chofetz Chaim answered them. He said, Vos hartaich e malochim shmeichlin in himmel. He said, why do you, what's your problem if the angels in heaven are smiling? Ayosa, kids an orphan, comes to say, well, I mean, what's your problem here? And Chofetz Chaim was on a different wavelength. He had an intuition. What would God have done in such a situation? That's what he said. The malachim are smiling. That means that God approves of it. What would, what would Rabbeinu Shalem have done? That's what he tried all of his life, to try and guess what would God do in the situation. That's really our task. Our task in being human is how would God react? Because I want to imitate him. I am his creature. I'd like to be like him. Now that's what the Novi says. We always see lo yodot. And you have a clue to me. That's the tragedy. That's the destruction. So everything else follows. Once you don't, you know, once you're, lo once you're lost it on the radar screen, right, so then it doesn't make any difference where you're going. The good, 
Good news, bad news joke, right? The pilot gets on the intercom and he says, I have good news and bad news. Good news, he says, we're ten minutes ahead of schedule. Bad news is that we're lost. That's really a very good description of our world, of our society. We're ahead of schedule, but we're, we have no idea where we're going. Every man has to guard himself against his friend. The other guy's out to cheat me. I have to guard myself. I can't take anybody at his word. Terrible situation, right? But we are aware of it, right? It's not, not far different from our situation. Person's word. Every man has to guard himself from his friend. And you cannot trust your brother. Right? Business is business. Money is money. Money destroys families. It's not a blessing. My wife is young, but I feel, you know, she hasn't got a gray hair in her shadow. <laughs> Now, I'm all white, but I get, you know, the $10 million offer from Ed McMahon in the mail. I don't even open it. right in the garbage. I don't want it. I really don't want it. I'm past already. So there was a time, you know, I talked myself in the HR, you know, I'd make $10 million. I'd give $9 million to the yeshiva. I'd give this, that, and today it's right in the garbage. Don't even want it anymore can't bring me any good. Now, koloch al tiftochu. cannot trust your own brother. Ki koloch What a play on words. Every brother is a cheater. Okov Yaakov, he will cheat you. Uh, here he uh, makes reference to Novi, to Esau's taina against Yaakov, for which we are still paying. Yaakov was 100% right and legal, but Ace felt that he was cheated. He said, Is it for nothing that he's called Yaakov? He's cheated me twice. Yaakov means to cheat. And all my friends, everyone who is a friend, goes and slanders me. Bears tales. Can't be trusted. Yeah, we are going to divide this after in two because one cannot take it in one. The ish Each man makes fun, mocks, but it means to cheat. When you cheat somebody, you mock him. An idiot. You know, he lets himself be cheated. One of my... I always um, almost make a vow. I don't, don't do it, but I almost make a vow to myself that I'm never going to go to a car dealer to buy a car. Because whenever I buy a car, no matter what, I walk out and I feel I was cheated. No matter what price. Because the, it's just just the way it works. Yeah, he's letting me have it. Oh, this extra and this and this. And he's going to give me this. And he's going to give me that. I walk out. I'm, I can, you know, I feel like like vomiting. That's your Hoselu. They make fun of you. They've mocked you. They've mocked your integrity. The MS Lo Yadaberu. 
and they cannot speak truthfully. There are no words of truth that they can say. Lindu lishonam da ber sheker. They have trained their tongues to speak falsely, that they cannot even tell the truth when it is in their best interest to tell the truth. Sometimes you know, we call that a pathological liar. But the Novi doesn't give in to uh, psychological excuses. Lindu lishonam. They have trained themselves. Their tongue is trained that it doesn't say the truth. It's against the law to tell the truth. Look at the, uh, the, you know, the in the United States we call the you know truth in lending, truth in advertising bills. You know they're telling you in advance that it's a lie. Everything it says on the first side of the page is a lie because you got to turn around and see all the things they have to print in little print in fading ink on the second part of the page to tell you that everything was on the first part of the page isn't true. They're not responsible for it, you know. Like if you were a super saver, you know, if you go Saturday night with your mother-in-law at 11.30 at night with, a, with one bag, right, corner, you know, they got three seats for you, like that. It's wrong. It's wrong. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to say, $99 to Miami, and you only, in the little prints, you have six seats like that, and every the other regular price is $400. You're not allowed to do that. But we expect it. We expect it. We're convinced that that's the way it's supposed to be. And if you get away with it, then you're a good businessman. That we convince ourselves of that. That's a terrible thing. That's lindu l'shonam daber sheker. To train yourself to speak falsehoods. So to train yourself in a whole society to do that. We pay a big price for that. I knew Russia Yeshiva that they would look over the... Uh, the uh, brochures of the yeshiva. I remember in uh, the Chicago yeshiva, one, we had to have a catalog printed. We were going to get credits from the university, Agansa Misa. So they had to, they printed a catalog. So in the catalog, the uh, public relations man that printed it, so then we, in our yeshiva, Kanaino Hard End, there was uh, like 330 boys in the base magic. We had a big yeshiva. We had 35, 38 boys in every year. So he wrote close to 500 students. That's, uh, you know, it's close. 330 is closer to 500 than to zero. Not bad. I remember they Rabbi Fassman and the other ones, they didn't let it be printed. They pulled it. Okay. Yeshiva Kivan say, you say, over 300, you want to say something. Can't say close to 500. Not true. It stands against everything that the yeshiva is supposed to be. So that's the idea of limdu l'shonam daber sheker. That is the uh, first part of uh, today's show, Rabbi uh, Wine's presentation on the Haftorah of uh, Tisha B'Av. We'll get to another uh, segment of his in just a moment. It's the top of the hour. It is uh, the uh, 26th day in the month of July, 5th of Av. Tisha B'Av coming up in a few days, Wednesday night into Thursday. And uh, we are here with you live on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. Programming continues all day long. 
Nachum will be back tomorrow morning with the JM and the AM, 6 o'clock AM Eastern Time, followed by, I believe the Israel show will be on, I'm not sure, tomorrow, I think so. Uh, so that'll be tomorrow morning. That's with Mayor Weingarten. And uh, programming continues all week long here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, we're going to go... Uh, we're going to go now to another presentation by Rabbi Beryl Wine here on JM Sunday. Thanks, everyone, for joining us this morning. We really appreciate it. We are JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. The Novi says, uh, means alavai, would that God would place me in the desert and I would be like an oasis. Malone Orphim is an inn, an oasis. The idea of a desert, it's one of the great ideas that we have uh, throughout the Tanakh. A desert, me, it's a, it's a feeling that all of us have, that it, I would have a uh, terrific uh, business if I wouldn't have workers, if I could do it all myself. Or it would be a terrific society, a terrific school, or what, whatever, whatever organization we want to think of. Uh, it's complicated by the fact that it's not a desert. It's complicated by the fact that there's a society that we have to contend with, and in that society are people and events uh, that are not necessarily uh, to our liking, and who uh, are a deterrent. They're a drag. They make things worse. So the Novi says, Alavai, that I could escape from the Jewish people and I could go out to the desert. In the desert, I would be like our father Abraham, who uh, at the beginning of time uh, ran this great inn, Malone Orchim. Guests came and he could do whatever he wanted. When you have a Jewish people, when you have the whole people together, so then... Uh, there's baggage. Uh, there are problems. It's not that simple. It's not that easy. The Ezvoes Ami, I will forsake my people. The Elchom and I will go away from them. Kikuo Menoafim, all of them are immoral, unfaithful. That's the word Menoafim, that's the word for adulteress. But it means not only adulterous in the physical sense, it, it has many connotations here, but basically it's the unfaithfulness to God, the unfaithfulness to, uh, to tradition, and it's also the sexual immorality which was rampant. And it also was a statement that Kulam Menafim, everybody, he doesn't mean everybody, but he means it was tolerated. It's accepted in society. It is not something that is considered reprehensible. It's taken for granted. It's allowed. And therefore, that's why it says, they are all adulterers, because the ones who tolerate it eventually are as guilty in society as the ones that participate. Because without the societal approval, it could not reach the levels that it did. Atzeres bogdim. Atzeres means 
a gathering, a group of people who are traitors, who are treacherous. So traitors means traitors to their spouses, uh, traitors to society, traitors again to the ideals, uh, ideas and ideals of the Jewish people. So this we discussed before, that they have trained their tongues, kashtam uh, sheker, to be like a bow that shoots arrows of lies. They have developed that, they, uh, that that's accepted, a little like the uh, commercial society of the world that we live in of uh, false advertising and false representations. So we become immune to falsehood because we accept, we accept it and we expect it and it's part of us. And true people, true people, faithful people, they did not do well in this world, the Navi says. They're not popular. They're not strong. They're not the heroes. But those who are false, they are the ones who are heroes. I think one of the uh, statements regarding our society generally is the lack of true heroes. Most heroes in American society are uh, sports figures or other such people who... Uh, or uh, people who have made a great deal of money and not necessarily in a, uh, in a legitimate fashion, in a moral fashion. They're the heroes of society. And uh, part of the undoing, for instance, of uh, the, uh, the, uh, the poorer class in the United States and of the minorities, etc., is that their heroes are false heroes. They're not realistic. You have... Uh, 400 possible positions to be a ball player in the National Basketball Association, and you have 10 million uh, children playing in the schoolyards for the 400 positions. It's not realistic. The, uh, the fact that righteous, honest, good people not only are not held in esteem, but they are ridiculed. Uh, they are held to be uh, wildly impractical people people who have nothing to teach us. So that's what happened to the Jewish people also. For a long time in Jewish life, in the exile, the Jewish people, even though they may not have lived up to their ideals, but they ought, their heroes were clear to them. In our time, that has again become blurred in a great section of the Jewish people. Who would we really like to be so that's the idea here, Lola Amuna Govrubarts. Kime Ro'o El Ro'o Yotso'u. From one evil they stagger to the next evil. The imagery here is of a drunk going from bar to bar. Once having embarked upon this road, so from one evil to the next evil they went. And the, uh, originally they could not have imagined themselves uh, at their final station. 
couldn't imagine what they would look like at the end. But when you go from one evil to the next evil, so eventually you arrive at the final evil, the ultimate evil. The Osi Lo Yado Numashem. This we will see later at the conclusion of the uh, of the Novi's words that the Novi considers knowledge of what God says, of what God wants, to be of, of primary importance. To know what God wants, and there are many people who. Uh, who are very far off the mark. And that's the idea that the Ramban says in Chumash that a person could be a novel virshus ha-Torah. A person can be observant, he can be within the parameters of Torah, and yet he is an obscene, obnoxious, evil person because he hasn't got any identification with what God really wants. Ishmeru hishameru. Every man has to guard himself against his friend. No one can trust anyone. And no one can trust the brother. Because every brother is a cheater. Okov Yaakov cheats. It's expected. It's part of the... Again, the psyche of the relationship is part of the society. The Cholreya and every friend, Rochil Yahalov, walks around and spreads slander about you, attempts to undermine you, attempts to destroy you. Ve'ish bereyu Yehoselu, each man, again, Yehoselu, he cheats. Yehoselu means... Uh, he makes fun of the other person. He cheats him. Uh, he takes advantage of him. He exposes him as a fool, as naive. And they refuse to speak the truth. They again have trained their tongues to speak evil, to speak falsely. They have trained themselves. Ha'ave milu. And they wanted to go crooked. They attempted. They worked hard at it. So again, the Novi here brings out the fact that many times the effort and the uh, creativity and the sacrifice required to do something wrong is as great, if not greater, as it would be to do it right. But people want to do things wrong. Somehow they find that to be uh, much more satisfying. There was an incident not long ago, a number of years ago that uh, students stole uh, regents' exams and passed them out, etc. So the effort that went into it, if they would have sat down and studied for the two hours or three hours, you didn't have to do that. This took days of planning, risks, expenses, everything. But everybody felt that the investment was worth it. Whereas uh, to do it the straight way, so to speak, to spend the time and the effort and the creativity and study, 
So that's uh, that's not acceptable. That's not that's not the way to do things. That's what it, that's what the Novi means. Have nilu. They worked hard to obtain this level of perverseness. They worked hard to make it crooked. It was a uh, a matter that required effort, and they followed through with it. So the, he describes that the Jewish people sank into a dishonest society because they sat amongst dishonesty for so long that they just simply, it's like you sit in, in garbage, so after a while you smell. So they sat in a society that was so bad that that eventually they did, could not know me. They refused to know me because of their own trickeries, because of their own perverseness, because of, they trained themselves in that society. We see in our society also it's very hard to crawl out of a, uh, of a situation that becomes, that becomes your normalcy. A whole spate of... Uh, books and uh, movies and plays about people who are involved in the mafia or involved in crime generally and they want to get away from it and they can never get out because it has become so all-encompassing that there's no way to break the ties and that's the really the greek tragedy of life is that we are bound by bonds that we have ourselves constructed now, we've ourselves done all of these things. So since they were willing to dwell in a society of iniquity, so therefore their iniquity caused them that they no longer know me. How can they have any relationship to me if they're determined to live in such a society? This uh, uh, strong and painful indictment of the Jewish people, of their behavior... Uh, is reflected uh, in all the books of Musser and in all the works that we read throughout the exile of the Jewish people. That God uh, is far from us because we have moved so far from him. You don't, you can't expect to, uh, to find honesty in a dishonest society. You're looking in the wrong place. Therefore, the Lord God says, I am going to take the Jewish people. Tzorfum is I'm going to refine them. I'm going to anneal them in the fire. The word tzoref is to burn off the dross. When you want to have pure silver, pure gold, to the extent that you can have it, uh... So you have to burn off the alloy. You have to burn off the uh, the other metals that are contained therein. That's tzorfam. I'm going to put them through the test of fire. Uvechantim, and they will be tested. A long test for the Jewish people. Thousands of years. It's a uh, difficult exam. Kiech what else can I do, God says. I don't have no choice. Well, how else can I do it? God, so to speak, appeals to the Jewish people. Tell me how else to do it. I tried it so many different ways. 
I tried it to be, to be good. I tried it with Nevi'im. I tried it with the Vedas. What else can I do? What gains your attention? We see that, uh, God forbid, but we see that troubles always gain the attention of people. So, that's what the Novi says in God's name. What else can I do regarding my people? How else can I treat them? Their tongue is a sharpened arrow. Their tongue can kill. You know the famous uh, expression that children say that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But we know that that is not true. We know that words are far more lethal than even sticks and stones. Great damage can be done in life by words. So the Novi says, their tongue has become a lethal arrow, an arrow that kills, shochet, that shechts, that kills, that slaughters. Mirmodiber. They speak only dishonest words. Sholom Esra'eu Yadaber, he speaks to his friend words of peace, good words, nice words. Uvekirbo Yosim Orbo, and in his heart he is planning the ambush that will destroy his friend. The rabbis always said that the heart of a person has to somehow be uh, in line with what he says. The rabbis say, Rashi quotes it, that one of the compliments regarding the brothers of Joseph, it says, They could not speak words of peace with him. So our rabbis say, even though that's a negative thing, there's a positive quality to it. They were not hypocritical. They hated him, so they didn't, they didn't tell him, uh, you're a great guy. And in their hearts did they hate him. Their mouth and their hearts were at least the same. So you knew where you stood. So uh, hypocrisy here of talking words of peace while preparing for war, of, of talking friendship and uh, planning the ambush, uh, that is uh, that deceit is the ultimate immorality. So God says, on them, this is a rhetorical question, to a people like this, shall I not come and punish them? Shall I not demand an accounting for their behavior? In a people, a nation such as this, shall not my soul find revenge for their behavior, for their attitudes? So again, the, what makes all of this uh, stronger, uh, worse, uh, much more difficult, is the fact that uh, God gave the Jewish people the Torah. And uh, God expects, and even today, he expects a higher standard of behavior from us. It's interesting that even in the world, the world also expects a higher standard of behavior from us. And that's part of the uh, disproportionate double standard which is applied to the state of Israel.
someone phrased it very well that the uh, the non-Jewish world expects the Jews to be the true Christians. But the world does expect it of us. The world does expect a higher standard. And we give them a higher standard. We are willing to do so. We do live to a higher standard. But God, in his measurement of us, in his demands upon us, so then if we don't live up to it, so then uh, God's anger is kindled against the Jewish people. So the Novi, now the Novi uh, sees the Churban in front of his eyes. He sees uh, the terrible events. The prophet uh, Yermio, uh, in fact, he mentions it. Uh, he says, Ani I am the person that saw it. The other prophets, and that's the, the Medrash says here, the other prophets only predicted it, so they knew it was going to happen. But there's a great difference, my friends, in life, and know that something's going to happen and actually witness it. You actually have to live through it. And the Novi therefore says, I, more than any of the other prophets, I'm the unlucky one, because I am the one who saw it happen, who was the living witness to it. Regarding the great mountains of Israel, the hills, I will now raise my voice in weeping, and in Nehi is moaning a song, an elegy, a song of, of weeping and of sadness. So this is the measure for measure to Mida Keneged Mida because on the hills and mountains of Israel is where the Jews worshipped Avodah Zarah. So the mountains were destroyed. The beauty was removed. Later at the time of the second temple, the mountain was actually lowered. It was physically lowered, removed from its exalted status. Val Naos Midbor and regarding the oases that existed in the desert, I will sit and mourn, because the churban that the uh, enemies of Israel brought to the country is such that nothing is left. He describes it in terms of a great locust that consumes everything in front of it, so that nothing is left. Even the oases in the desert are destroyed. A little like uh, Kuwait looks. Right? Nothing is left. I mean, if you just think of the enormity of uh, the destruction. So the poor Emmer will have to spend some $180 billion that he has stored all over the world, but that doesn't in any way mitigate the destruction that occurred. That's what the Navi describes here. The country, the oases, the mountains, the roads are forlorn. There is no traveler that passes. Nobody walks. Nobody goes anywhere. There's no travel. No longer is heard 
in the countryside the sounds of the cattle, meaning the sounds of domestic agricultural life. It has all been quieted. The birds of heaven, the animals of the earth, Nodadu have wandered away. Holochu have gone their own way. They are no longer here. They're no longer present. They're gone. So the, uh, the history of the Jewish people in the land of Israel is that for hundreds, for well over a thousand years, the country was barren. There were no animals. There were no birds. There was nothing. Just stones, sand, emptiness. The Ramban says that that was part of God's plan, is that no one came to inhabit the country. All the Palestinians who are there now all came after the Jews. If you read Joan Peters' book from time immemorial, so she documents there how the entire uh, Arab immigration into Palestine is in the last hundred years. when the Jews developed the country. But the country was empty. No population. And when there are no human beings, there are no animals, nothing. A scene of ultimate desolation. So Jerusalem was mounds. You know, like tells, uh, archaeological digs. Just mounds of rubble. Gal is like a uh, a mound, a monument, a bunch of stones piled one on top of the other. Gal aid. Ma'on Tanim. It became the home of j- jackals, of wild animals who live in the desert, who live where no one else lives. It's a, uh, Tanim is a, uh, we translate it as a jackal. It's a type of a desert dog. It's a wild creature that lives off of rodents. It's a uh, fierce predator, but it does not live anywhere where there's civilization. It lives in the wild. That's Ore Yehuda Etein Shmoma and the cities of Judah that previously were so populous and now have become desolate, isolated, alone. Nibli Yoshev. With no one there. No one was present. Now the Novi moves to another topic. Famous Sukim here in the Novi. I'm here to the conclusion of the Aftorah are some of the most... Uh, well-known and famous and strongest psukim in all of Tanakh. I mentioned to you before, this Haftorah is enormously powerful. It's enormously sad. That's why they laid it all on on Tisha B'av. The Haftorah is so strong, we don't read Eicha in the morning. This Haftorah sums up everything there is to say in the Book of Lamentations. It's almost as though if we had this Haftorah plus Eicha, that would be too much to bear. He ha'ish hechochon v'yoven ezos. 
Where can you find the wise man that understands what's happening here? Who knows what happened here? So we could say that today. We could say that regarding the events of our time. Who is the wise man that can tell us, that can explain the Holocaust to us, who can explain uh, the state of Israel, who can explain all of the struggles, all of the wars, all of the pain, all of the blood, all of the sacrifice? Who could explain it? Who is the wise man who understands? And who is the man to whom God has spoken in explanation? The Agido, and he's now going to tell us what happened here. Who is that person? So this is based, the Medrash bases it that neither the wise men nor the prophets of Israel could explain the enormity of the disaster that befell the Jewish people. It's literally the uh, story of our time, too. All of the reasons uh, that are advanced by many uh, for the Holocaust and for everything else that happened to the Jewish people all fall hollow. They don't... It's hard for us to justify, no matter what our sins were, a uh, punishment of that magnitude, of that enormity. A million and a half children under the age of 12, all of the unspeakable things that happened. How, how did it happen? So the Novi himself has no answer. Our more of the Oretz. Why was is the land of Israel destroyed? Nitzisokamidbor. Why was it burned, parched, like a desert, that it has no inhabitants, that no one lives there, no one visits there. Why did this happen? So the Gemara says no one could answer that. So God came and answered it. And but God answers it in a way that's not understandable to us. To God, it's an answer to us. We find it hard to understand it. Vayomer Hashem, God said, Al ozvom es torosi asher nosati lifneim. Because they have forsaken the Torah that I placed before them. That's the root cause of all of these troubles. Because they no longer wanted to live a Torah life. They were no longer loyal to it. They did not hearken to my voice, to all of the prophets that I sent. And they did not want to go in the path of righteousness, in the road of the Torah. They did not want to follow its lifestyle, its value system. Instead, they wanted to go according to the wildness of their hearts. Whatever their heart wanted, they wanted to have. It's like uh, someone who is uncontrolled. He wants this, he wants that, he wants—he doesn't know what he wants. He just wants to be wild. The Acharei Abolim, and they went after the idols. Asher Limdu Mavosam. 
that their forefathers had trained them already. The, this isn't just this generation, but that this was part of their heritage, so to speak. So the Mephorshim say here a number of great ideas. Number one, that they went after the idols not because they believed in the idols. They went after the idols because they wanted to go after what their hearts wanted. So they needed a philosophy that allowed them to be immoral. A great deal of, uh, of uh, the Western world today uh, follows in that. They want to be immoral. They want to do whatever they want. So therefore, they invent the philosophy that justifies it. They say it's unhealthy to be inhibited. Other such, uh, it's the, what drives uh, much of the uh, psychological explanations of man and justifications of man in the 20th century is the fact that man does not want to be bound to any moral system. Man does not want to be disciplined. The Talmud tells us that this, the Gemara in Gitten tells us that the great Rabbi Yeshua Reb Hananya came to Rome, to one of the great cities in the Roman Empire, uh, where he heard a Jewish child was imprisoned, and he stood at the gate of the prison, he stood by the window, and he said the first half here, Almor of the Oretz, why was the land destroyed? And the child answered from inside the prison, because they forsook the Torah. So the Tana of Yeshua said, if there's such a child that he understands that, then I will redeem him no matter what the price is. He, uh, he uh, paid an enormous price to ransom him, to redeem him, and the child became a great Talmud Chochem. The great Rabbi Shmuel uh, was that child who was in prison. But again, the, the question that he asked is why, which is the most difficult question to answer. Almov, Doritz, why was the land destroyed? So people say, uh, well, you know, it was destroyed. It was political. They didn't have a strong enough army. It was... Uh, economically not viable, etc. None of those excuses are true. The country is destroyed because of its lack of moral fiber, because of the fact that it did not follow the Torah. We find the same uh, reasoning in the Talmud always. The Talmud asks whenever they saw an older person, they said, How come you lived so long? So nowhere in the Talmud is the answer given that I exercised, or I took good care of myself. Or I went to sleep early at night. The answer is always found in a moral thing. I did this good deed. All my life I devoted myself to this task. Because our rabbis always ask the question deeper than what looks on the surface. It's not enough just to exercise. It doesn't mean you're not supposed to exercise. But that's not, that, that's not the full answer. That doesn't say the reason. So here also, it doesn't say that the reason for the destruction of the Jewish state in the time of Yermio and later in the time of the Second Temple was because of the fact that the empires were stronger than they were. 
because this Jewish state had existed for hundreds of years, always were stronger empires against them. But because of the fact that they were morally bankrupt, in the end, uh, all the notes were called in. They were just wrong. And eventually they paid the price. Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I'm going to, this people will be fed the bitter herb, which is lana. It's an herb that is a... Uh, The Latin name for it is Artemisia, which I'm sure uh, does something for everybody. But it's a uh, it's a very bitter herb, so it's not poisonous, but it's very bitter. But Vishkisi may Rosh, I shall give them to drink waters of Rosh. Rosh is already a poisonous substance. The drink that they will drink is like hemlock. It will destroy them. Now that's the description of the exile. That's the description of the punishment that's brought upon the Jewish people. I shall scatter them among nations that neither they nor their fathers ever heard of them. The uh, scattering of the Jewish people throughout the world. So in our time, we begin to realize how far the Jewish people are scattered when we see the ingathering of the Jewish people, where Jews come from, all over the world. But places we never heard of, places that, you're, that no one ever knew of. And even in these places I shall have the sword pursue them until they shall be destroyed. So the Radak says here, destroyed means that the majority of the Jewish people will not survive the exile. Which is again a historical and demographic fact that we can, uh, we can attest to. That the majority of the Jewish people will not survive the exile. Not physically, well, if we count it physically or spiritually. And the sword has pursued us wherever we have been. Again, the frightening uh, comment, but the, the, the frightening comment is that he's standing 2,600 years ago and talking about today. And he sees it. Think about this. He's Bonanu. Give it some thought. Think about it. Think about your situation. What is happening? Call the professional mourners. There were women who attended funerals and who mourned and wept. And that was their profession. They were professional criers. And that's true in the Near East today, in the Middle East today, in the Arabs, um, you know. And it was true in Eastern Europe also. That if a person wanted to have a, uh, a deluxe first-class funeral, so then they hired people to come and cry. 
because otherwise nobody cried. So they hired people to come and cry to raise the emotions of the moment. Those are the Makoninos. They are the professional criers, the professional weepers. So in our time, when the macho is just the opposite, right? Not to cry. So we don't have that institution prevalent. But uh, it was uh, it was well known in the ancient world and even even till our time. Velachachomos and to the wise women who know how to mourn. Shilchu, send for them the Savona and let them come. Novi here, it's almost a mock, uh, he makes a mockery of it. Sarcastic. Usmaherna, tell them to come quickly, because the Churban is here. You don't have time to delay. Vesisena oleinu nehi, and let them raise this song of weeping, of elegy about us. Let them moan. Let them cause that our eyes should drip with tears. Vapapenu are our eyelids. Yizlumoyim should run with water. Call them that they should awaken within us the emotion of tears. It's interesting. The Novi says that the Jewish people had sunk to such a level that they couldn't cry anymore. They didn't even appreciate what was happening to them. You had to call the professional criers in order to instill in them that emotion of the uh, destruction. He called because there is a voice of weeping, of elegy, of crying that is heard from the mountain of Zion. And the voice says, Eich shudodnu, how have we been despoiled? How did it happen that we have been so despoiled that everybody that wants to can come and rip us off and take a piece from us and rob us and do whatever they want? How did this happen? Boshnu Maud, we are terribly embarrassed. It's a shame for us. Kiozavnu Oretz, that we are forced out of our own land. That we are thrown out of our own land. So that was always thrown up to the Jewish people and throughout its long exile that they were a homeless people, the wandering Jew. The legend of uh, like the Flying Dutchman or the uh, man without a country who was condemned to travel on ships throughout the world, never being a citizen of any country, never having a place. So that was always seen as a shameful experience. Not just painful, but shameful, that no one wanted him. It's not till the 19th century in most of the countries in Europe that Jews became citizens of those countries. And it didn't really help us at the time of test. It's hard for American Jews to feel that way because we all feel we're Americans. We're all citizens and we're, you know, we're Americans. Again, that's the, that's the blessing of this country. But the truth of the matter is that in no other part of the world the Jews feel that they're part of the country even though they are citizens. Even you'll go to France, even in England, 
in many, many parts of the world, the Jews feel that, you know, that they have their bags packed. In the United States, we feel that, uh, that that's not true. We have been forsaken. We don't have a country. They have thrown down our dwelling places. We have no country. They have thrown down the country. They have torn down the wall. We have nowhere to go. Again, the novice speaks to these women as the fascination with these women, with the professional mourners, with those who come to cry. Let the women hear what God says. And let your ears absorb the words that God has to say. In other words, be cognizant of what's happening here. To teach your daughters nehi, how to weep. Train the next generation, the Novi says. Because it's not going to be over in a minute. You're going to need another generation of criers. You're going to need the next generation of weepers, of professional mourners. The Isha Reusa Kino, and let every woman... Teach her friend, Kino, how to mourn, how to say and sing the songs of sadness. Kiolo moves b'chaloneinu. Again, the great posik, frightening posik. Death has jumped in our windows. The imagery. Sometimes death comes in through the door. He's expected. And sometimes there's, God forbid, a tragedy and death jumps in through the window. Like an armed burglar that no one expected. That's the imagery of the Novi. Leaps through the window. He has come within our palaces, meaning our most protected places, where we felt that we were not in danger, and we could not be reached. I was in Israel for the, uh, so I went to see some of the damage that the Scuds did on the way to Bnei Brak, so I went near Savion, right? So you got the fanciest, most expensive homes, right? And some of them just leveled, right? Now, so one of the ironies of the homes is that the only thing that was left around it was the big high fence, which is meant to keep out all the intruders, right? So that's the only thing that's left. The house is leveled. That's Borobarman Osainu. It has come to our palace. In the palace where we are protected and at home, you know, we have the burglar alarm system. And death has come in. Lahachris Olel Michutz. It has cut off the infant in the street, killed our children. Bahuri Merchovos, the young men who walked in the streets, have been felled by the enemy. So that the that description that the Navi says is again the description of the exile, the description of the destruction of the Jewish people. 
and the uh, powerfully uh, descriptive form of how he sees death as an intruder that leaps in through the window. Completely unexpected. Daber Say as follows, God says. Tell them the truth. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't portray it in a more positive light. Daber ko, this is what you should say. Corpses of people will fall like dung in the fields of no value. So again, unfortunately, in our generation, we have lived to see that this is a literal description. It's not to be taken just allegorically or figuratively, but taken literally. People will be like sheaves of grain that fall after the gleaners, after the harvesters have gone through. So a piece of grain falls, nobody cares. Nobody bends to pick it up. That will be the fate of human beings. No one will come to gather them. So it means not only will no one will come to gather them, in terms of help and aid and succor to to try and revive them, but that even when they're dead, nobody will bury them. And be left vain masses. There'll be no one to bury them. So again, the uh, anyone who has uh, read or uh, any books on the Holocaust or seen any of the pictures uh, realizes that uh, these words are... Uh, Literal fact. It's exactly what happened to us. Without any embellishment. Now the Aftera concludes with uh, two, again, this is the epigram of the Aftora, of how God looks at the world. Two of the most important psukim in Tanakh. Kolomar Hashem, thus says the Rabboni Shalolam. Al Yisalel Chochom Bechochmoso. Let not the wise man praise himself in the fact that he is wise. Look, he has all of his diplomas hanging on the wall, all of his intellectual accomplishments. Al Yisalel Chochom Bechochmoso. Al Yisalel Hagiber Bigvuroso. Neither let the strong man. The courageous man, the hero, prays himself because of his courage, because of his physical strength. Al Yishalel Oshir Biyoshro. And let not the wealthy man praise himself, feel sanguine regarding himself because of his wealth. Thurmaforshim say that this not only refers as it does to the literal interpretation the wise man in terms of a person who has good intelligence, and the gibor, the strong man, the hero who has uh, good physical traits, and the usher, the wealthy man who has wealth, money. But this refers to the attributes that the rabbis list in the book of Pirkei Ovos, where it says, Ezeu usher, I'm sorry, Ezeu chocham, 
who is the wise man? So the Gemara there, the Mishnah there says, Halomid Mikolodom. He is someone who learns from life, from every person. And who is the Gibor? Hakovesh Yitzro, who is able to control his desires. And the Oshir is Asameach Bechelko, the one who is satisfied. So we'll say, what can be greater than that? So the Novi comes and says, no, that's also not it. That's still not it. You still don't understand what what God means. Even if you, even if we would achieve those levels, which are very difficult to achieve, uh, which are of inordinate greatness, but even if a person would achieve it, al yisalel, let him not praise himself. Let him not think that somehow he has been able to achieve greatness. If you want something to be proud about proud of, you want to say a compliment about yourself, God said, I'll tell you what the compliment is. Haskel viodoa osi, that they know what I am, they know what I want, that they have a clue as to what God wants in the world, that they have an attachment to me which is uh, the highest of all accomplishments. I always mentioned that Rabbi Rosenberg, the Chronel of Rocha, always used to say, Vozot Gott, what does God say to this? What would God say to this set of circumstances? So my caveat to that is, if you can't think in terms of God, so what would the IRS say? But that's Haskell Viadorosi. To understand, what do I say about it? How do I view it? What do I think about it? That's the basic question of Jewish life. It's the basic question, the question in life generally. Ki ani Hashem chesed mishpot Here God defines himself. I am the Lord Ose chesed that does chesed is kindness. Righteousness, goodness. God only wants to do good, not bad. Mishpat, a sense of righteousness, of justice, of truth. That's what Mishpat is. Utzdoka. So Utzdoka here means not charity, because charity here is included in Chesed. But Utzdoka means doing what is right. What is moral? What is correct? The Lord prides himself, Kaviochal, on those three things. On goodness, on truth, and on righteousness. On rectitude, on moral rectitude. God says, these are the things, this is what I want. So if you want to be proud of yourself, if you want to say, look what a great person I am, look what I accomplish, look what kind of a, of, a, of a human being I am, this is the measure. The measure is haskel viodoaosi. Do you understand what I want? And if you would understand that, so then everything else falls into place. So that, in effect, is the uh, consolation to the entire Haftorah of bitterness which has preceded these last two psukim because 
we can see a glimmer of hope that if we are able to uh, somehow strive for those goals and reach those ideals, so then the Lord is on our side, then we're allowed to boast, then we're allowed to be proud of ourselves. And that is the, uh, the task that the uh, entire history of the Jewish people has placed upon every generation of Jews to attempt to search out and find the Rabboni Shalom and follow his path and his way of life and his goals and definitions for us. Thank you very much, Rabbi Wine, for presenting two uh, very important and timely segments. We hear them each year before Tisha B'Av, before the nine day, during the nine days. And I thank all the listeners for uh, joining us today. Want to wish a uh, happy Hebrew birthday to listener Yaakov. Happy Hebrew birthday, Yaakov. Thank you to Rabbi Gawasser for uh, presenting Morning Chizuk this morning. Great programming continues all day long. Nine days format here on the uh, network. JM in the AM will be on tomorrow morning with Nachum, 6 a.m. Eastern Time. And uh, programming throughout the week, even on Tisha B'Av. So hope you could join us uh, throughout the week. want to wish you all an easy fast and... Uh, Have a good week and a great Shabbos, and we'll catch you next week right here on JM Sunday exclusively on the Nachum Siegel Network. You've been listening to Matis Weingast and JM Sunday on NahumSiegel.com right here at the Nahum Siegel Network.